Please remain standing for the reading of the scripture. I'll be reading from Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship as the Lord has requested. Take your flocks and herds, and as you have said, and go. And also, bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise we will all die, they said. So the people took their, took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. It's been a long journey in... Egypt, and it, it ends today in our story this morning, 430 years, it says, to the very day. And today, the Israelites get to leave Egypt. Our story actually begins in the previous chapter, chapter 11, as all the stories in the Exodus do, with Moses standing face to face to God and hearing his call. God says, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and after that he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. It must be a great relief, I would think, for Moses after all he's been through, being born of a different family escaping destruction, being raised in Pharaoh's court, having this identity crisis as a young man, killing an Egyptian, going into the desert, seeing the burning bush, hearing from God, being told to go back into his country to speak to Pharaoh the king, tell my people to go. It's been a long journey, so I'm sure when he hears from God that this is the last plague he's relieved. I'm sure he's ready to end the suffering of his people to get them out of Egypt, to get them where they can actually worship God. And so what does this plague bring to us? Well, as you remember, all these plagues have brought different destruction. This is the tenth plague, and it is the first plague that has struck Pharaoh so hard that he actually responds. As some of the scholars say, it hits so close to home, taking his firstborn. He had such a hardened heart that this was required. This, this length of destruction was what was required to pierce his own heart. You see, in the previous plagues, Pharaoh was able to look out on the suffering of his people and turn inward to the palace to escape the suffering. 
the palace, which was the sign of his identity, it reminded him of who he was. It declared that he was king, that he was ruler of the land, and even in their society, he was seen as God. But no longer can Pharaoh turn back to the palace with his back towards the people and their suffering, for his firstborn lies struck down in his house. So we look in the scriptures this morning, it has a succession of people discovering this, and as Pharaoh discovering this destruction first, Pharaoh and then his officials and all the Egyptians in that order, discovering what has happened as God has moved throughout the land and taken the firstborn. And we remember how they got into this place. We talked about Pharaoh hardening his heart weeks ago. Sometimes Pharaoh hardened his own heart, sometimes God. As we discussed, it was mostly a way of God just responding to what Pharaoh had chosen to do. In the midst of all this destruction in this story, I thought this week of the ways that I am stubborn. The ways that I turn from what God is calling me to. See, I'd offer in the midst of all the destruction of this story this morning that we can look at God in a different way. We can look at God as a patient and loving Father who's calling people back to His way. This is the tenth plague. We've seen all the destruction throughout Egypt that has been brought on the Egyptian people. We've seen how Pharaoh continues to harden his heart and turn away. And as I looked at this, I thought of the ways that I can be, at times, stubborn and obstinate to the suggestions of friends, to the suggestions of trusted mentors, and yes, even to the suggestions of God himself. Doesn't this sound like something that we can identify with? I could think of times in my life when people would warn me against things and I'd be so fixated on an outcome that I'd continue on even to the detriment of those around me and to myself. So the first lesson I want to highlight this morning is that we should not be so stubborn and so obstinate that it hurts our own family and maybe even takes our firstborn. Now that's a little extreme, but I think the story is extreme. And we can often learn from extreme examples. Fortunately, the suffering that I endure in my stubbornness often doesn't cause me such harm and destruction. But I found it a good reminder this week of how far I can go just to get the things I want when it even costs those around me dear things. Second, after Pharaoh, we see the Egyptians. They're hurrying to get the people out of town. They're afraid that they will all die. And we see them blessing the Israelites. As we saw in verse 11, these instructions came from God himself, and God gave them favor with the people. Some scholars differ on the perspective of how the Egyptians normally treated the Israelites. But as I prepared for my sermon this week, I thought of them more as oppressors. I thought of them more as the instruments of the oppression and the slavery 
to which the Israelites endured. So I found it particularly interesting that as the Israelites were departing the country, they were blessed with silver and gold. I thought of this and what this might look like in our modern day culture. Would it look like the slaves of the South as they departed and were set free? That the slave owners loaded them up with their prized possessions, precious metals for the journey? It doesn't really seem to add up in our culture. But I want to highlight what the scripture said in chapter 11, where it was God who made the Egyptians favorably disposed to the Israelites. And isn't this like our God to turn a situation on its head? I think this is the second lesson I took away from the scripture this morning, that God can turn even the instruments of our oppression and our struggles to be those that bless us in our lives. See, the Israelites were slaves. They were oppressed. They, they performed slave labor for hundreds of years. And now as they leave, the Egyptians are blessing them with their greatest possessions. Isn't this like this? Like our God who takes the things of our past, the things that we've struggled with, the sin that so easily entangles us, and then lifts us up out of it? Maybe allows us to endure hardship or struggle or pain just to teach us how we are overcomers, how he can deliver us, to teach us who we are in him. And then as we look back on those things in our lives, those struggles, those pains, we see not the hardship of those times, but the redemption of the Lord. Think of the Passover meal we learned of last week. The whole point of the festival is a celebration of the faithfulness of the Lord, to remember what he did, how he delivered. Notice it is God who makes the Egyptians favorably disposed. And it's God who can deliver us from our hardships and trials. The third thing that stuck out to me this morning was the gold and the silver that the Egyptians blessed them with. Now think of this for a moment. They're going out to live in the wilderness for 40 years and leaving most of what they have behind. And they're being blessed with gold and silver for the journey. As one scholar I read put it, there's... They're blessed with gold, with this great wealth, but they're headed for the desert where they won't be able to spend any of it. It's an unusual gift. It's a strange blessing to give to people. It would be like us giving our friends who are going out to live in the wilderness our fine china. We'd much rather have camping gear, a nice tarp, maybe a heavy-duty North Face tent. See, the Israelites are going into a place so they won't use this. So I followed this line of silver and gold in the story. Fast forward with me in the Exodus story. Next time we pick up this silver and gold, Moses has gone up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, to meet with the Lord. It's a meeting like a matrimonial ceremony. And while he is up meeting with the Lord, 
the people are down in the flatlands at the foot of the mountain. And they're using this gold to fashion a golden calf. An idol of a false god for them to worship. But the story of Exodus is not a story of suffering. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of God's power. So fast forward with me some more in the Exodus story. The next time we see these precious metals again is in the building of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the place where God's presence and spirit will dwell. See, God gives Moses specific plans for this tent of meeting, and it calls for much precious metals to adorn God's dwelling place. But the Israelites have just come out of slavery from Egypt. They're living in the wilderness, in the desert. Where are they going to get these precious metals but from the Egyptians themselves? I want to remind you, the first request that God had Moses bring to Pharaoh is for three days. Three days was all. Let my people go out into the wilderness to worship me for three days. See, the point of the Israelite people is to worship. And this is what God is trying to restore them to. They were made as slaves in Egypt. But God is saying, no, my people are not slaves. My people are made to worship me. You'll remember in Scripture, Israel, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. This is their job. This is their identity. This is what they've been called to do. And as they're departing Egypt, God equips them with what they need to do to worship Him. Which brings me to my third point. The Lord does not ask of us what He is not willing to give us Himself. Let me say that again in another way because it's a little hard to swallow. And it's so contrary to the ways of our world. But God will never ask of you something that He does not equip you for. The Israelites have been slaves in Egypt and they are going out to worship Him. Even Pharaoh prepares them for this. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. Sacrifice. They're prepared for sacrifice to worship God. And then he adorns them with silver and gold to complete the tabernacle to which they will worship him more. He's restoring them and giving them all they need for this role of worship. God will never ask of us what he doesn't give us. So... When you find yourself in a situation where you are in need, where you feel like God is asking something of you, look around. Be prepared. Be prepared for Him to give you favor. To make even your oppressors favorably disposed to who you are and what He has called you to do. And ask. In our story this morning, the instruction that the Israelites receive from God to Moses is to ask the Egyptians. Now, some scholars differentiate on whether the Egyptian people were the actual instruments of their oppressors or if they had become friends over years. But I see them, the ones who carried about their slavery, 
blessing them with all they need. In the New Testament, Scripture tells us to seek, to find, to knock. The door will be open to ask and it will be given to you. So as you find need in your life from the things that it even feels like God is calling you to you, I encourage you that He is your provider. And out of faith, He wants you to return around and ask Him for those things. So we have this wonderful story of the Egyptians, those who enslaved the Israelites, the people of God, being set free from this destruction of the death of the firstborn. And in preparation for this week, I had a lot of friends ask me about that destruction. And I didn't have a great answer, and I thought about it a lot. But one thing I kept coming back to was the significance of the death of the firstborn. And this reality that God doesn't ask of us what he's willing to give himself. And this reality that God turns even the instruments of our greatest oppression and suffering into blessing in our lives. I thought of the cross. The cross, which in Roman civilization was a means of capital punishment a means of torture, a means of humiliation, an execution reserved for thieves and robbers. And on it, the Romans hung our Lord. You see, through the sacrifice of Jesus, God turned what was a symbol of oppression into the greatest symbol of our freedom. And like taking the firstborn... In Egypt, God was willing to give his own son for us. So as I reflect on this passage this morning, I want to highlight for us the reality that we do endure suffering, but our God is not a God of leaving us in the midst of our suffering. He is a God of redemption. And if you find yourself in the midst of trials and tribulations, of suffering and hardship, I encourage you that God has a plan. Let me read to you a few scriptures that highlight some of the plans that God had for his Israelite people. As Joseph died in the end of Genesis, he says to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, this was the entry point for the Israelites into Egypt through Joseph. And as he died, he foretold of God delivering his people out of the land. But with scripture, I can go back even further to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham, then Abram, God says, Know for certain that 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here to this land. 
I can't explain to you why we endure suffering or why a loving God allows some of the things that go on in our world. But I can assure you this morning that God is a God of redemption, that he has plans for your lives and for mine that are good, plans to overcome these things that oppress us. That he doesn't leave us in the midst of our struggles, but he delivers us. And we have the cross as this ultimate sign to remind us of God's faithfulness, of God's love, of God's deliverance, and God's triumph over sin and death. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you that in the midst of our trials and tribulations, our struggles and oppression, the hardships of our lives, that you have a plan that is greater than us, a plan to reunite us with our true identity as worshipers, a plan to restore us and equip us for the things that you call us to. God, give us the faith, the hope, the vision to see as you see past the hardships of our days into the hope of the delivery you have for us tomorrow. And Father, allow us to remember your faithfulness as you call us to and hold on in hope as we endure like the Israelites, together in community, listening to your voice. We pray all these things. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.